Lay of the Land, Trent Nelson, and we are being joined by a great friend of ours, Sarah Bowen Lassisi of the Phoenix Center. Hello. The local Springfield Central Illinois Phoenix Center. We are so happy to have you. Thank you for coming on and, and spending some time with us. It's a pleasure to be here. The pleasure is always ours. <laughs> Anyone who's listened to this program knows that. For those who don't know what Sarah does, Sarah, what what does Sarah do? What does Sarah do? Sarah works for the Phoenix Center as the assistant director. And in my role, I am responsible for all of the public health um, programming under the center. So just a little bit of history about the Phoenix Center as a backup. Um, the Phoenix Center started roughly 20, a little over 20 years ago as um, a very informal teen meeting in a garage for LGBTQ youth. Um, and that's where they met, and um, it continued to grow from there and became a full 501c3. Um, we have housing for folks who are um, living with HIV, housing for folks who are LGBTQ, and in both of those categories, homeless. Um, so we it's transitional housing. For two years, we help people get on their feet and get into permanent housing. Um, the housing program is another one that has been integrated into the Phoenix Center for a long time, especially the HIV-positive housing for people living with HIV kind of started almost as like the space where, you know, those folks could go when family said, we won't take care of you. We don't support, you know, how you're living and the people that you love and has significantly grown from there. We have youth groups for people who are 13 to 17 every Friday from six to eight. There's support groups for people who are bisexual, support groups for people who are transgender. We have a transmasculine support group. Just Starting Now is a support group for people who are in recovery and LGBTQ+. And so those are the things that the Phoenix Center were founded on, were those very things that I just listed. Um, moving forward, and in my space, we have a huge public health sector at this point, and it piggybacked off of the HIV-positive housing. So we offered HIV testing and then subsequently um, hepatitis C testing, chlamydia gonorrhea testing, and from there, with the prevalence of HIV and hepatitis C for people who are injecting drugs, we started a harm reduction program, and that includes, you know, giving supplies and education to folks who are in active drug use and uh, just making sure that they feel safe and loved um, while they're in their space. So, like I said, all the public health um, aspects are mine, but the harm reduction piece is my absolute love and academic focus and research focus and kind of what uh, makes me who I am almost. <laughs> And we thank you so much for that history, for that summation, because, and I go through this with so many of the guests that come on any of the programs, it's, we must start with the assumption that people don't know anything sure. about anything that we're talking about. And not because they don't have great intelligence, but simply because there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And we all cannot be completely aware of all of the things that are happening just at, at all times. No, you're absolutely right, Trent. Usually it is only if it affects you. And if something doesn't affect you, it's probable that you have no clue what the services are, you know, to help folks. So, um, you know, if you if you don't know anybody who is LGBTQ plus or anybody who's in active use or anyone affected by HIV, you know, in general, it's very likely that you won't know what the Phoenix Center is. Right, right. Absolutely. And to just jump off that point uh, and the previous point that you had made, many people don't know what harm reduction is True. or what the difference is between 
harm reduction and I believe the term is enabling. Right? Oh, I love when people say that we're enabling. I love when people say harm reduction is enabling. It is like potentially the most, or I'm sorry, the least thought out statement about harm reduction, um, simply because people who use drugs are going to use drugs. They used drugs long before harm reduction was a thought. But in the course of knowing better and doing better, um, we know that people who use drugs are completely and totally worthy of proper health care and love and dignity and respect, which doesn't happen a lot when you're talking about people who use drugs who are, you know, going to medical facilities or trying to obtain housing or, you know, just really anything in general in society. If someone deems someone as an addict, which is a term I do not ever use, or a junkie, again, a term I never use, we say people who use drugs or people who inject, um, everything is person-centered. But when people throw those labels out and stigmatize folks in those ways, they lose access to basic human rights, which is what has happened to people who use drugs across the world. And unfortunately, folks who think like that, I hate to tell you, but they, they should have their basic human rights met, including medical care, preventative health, public health, and that's what we do. It's a public health program. It is not an enabling program. It's enabling folks to stay alive through overdose prevention. I guess it is in that sense. It's enabling folks to um, use clean supplies and prevent the spread of HIV and hepatitis C through drug use. So I guess in some sorts it's enabling, but it definitely is not enabling people to use drugs. Right, right. Thank you for clarifying that for everyone, for the listeners, for anyone cares enough to be to be paying attention to us this morning. Absolutely. Is this just another example of our society's desire to place judgment on people such that doing X means that Y doesn't deserve Z? Yes. Absolutely. Um, we've done it as a, an American society since the beginning of this country, beginning obviously with black folks who were enslaved, and still the effects of that weigh heavily today, especially in healthcare and public health. So it is a perfect example of that. And, you know, we could say race, which I've mentioned, but also if you think about folks with certain disabilities, especially when it pertains to mental health. I work a lot with the homeless, and I'm on the street all the time, and I would say that, you know, a lot of those folks have mental health issues, and because of that, you know, they're deemed unworthy of housing, and they can't take care of themselves, which we know to be opposite of that because they survive on the street every day. In fact, they probably take care of themselves better than a lot of folks. When you have to obtain survival skills every single day of your life, you know, you think a little bit different and you maneuver a little bit different. So I think that ignoring those things, such as people who use drugs, they say, you know, well, how could they possibly be able to make decisions about health care or preventative health and that sort of thing, which is ridiculous. Everyone with a little bit of compassion and a little bit of guidance, you know, obviously discounting, you know, folks who, um, you know, are completely maybe physically or mentally disabled. But those folks who are capable with a little bit of love and compassion, and a little bit of guidance are, can be fully responsible for themselves as long as we stop telling them that they can't. And putting them in the street or saying that, you know, you're just going to be a junkie for the rest of your life. It, it amazes me every day. I, I, will, I will preface this by saying I'm not supposed to do case management of any sort. I'm an assistant director. I'm in an administrative position. However, I'm not capable of not case managing. And so with that being said, you know, working with folks just 
maybe 10 minutes, you know, reassurance, a hug, a smile changes somebody's whole entire day. It doesn't take a lot. (laughs) Right, right. It's simple human compassion. And I appreciate that. Trent Nelson appreciates that here on Lay of the Land. (laughs) Right. um, As do our listeners, of course. So... What can people do to, if their own mindsets align with that of the Phoenix Center's mission? What oh. what can they do, um, not necessarily through the Phoenix Center, sure. although through the Phoenix Center also yeah. works, right? but everyday life? How can people do something that makes a difference in other people's existence? It is so simple. I mean, these are very simple things to do. Um, maybe smile at somebody walking past you, ask them how they're doing. Really, all of it is lead with love and leave, lead with compassion. And, you know, maybe just, like I said, stop and talk to somebody or, you know, buy somebody a sandwich and start a conversation and ask them about their life. Specifically, people who are on the street, that's a game changer. Most of the time when people give to folks who are marginalized, it is, I should say a lot of the time, I won't say most because that's very presumptuous, but a lot of the times when people give, especially to marginalized communities, it very much is um, a, a point of self-reflection and you know what it feels like for that person giving. Um, but when you give, don't just give, find out about the people you're giving to and, and talk to them and, and see you know what their life is like. Maybe just hear a story and you know it doesn't always take a monetary gift your time sometimes is even better than a couple dollars you know so I think if we just invested more in humanity as a community um, especially those folks who are already aligned with how we think and how we function in harm reduction at the Phoenix Center we can make significant changes and even if it's just here in our own community absolutely I think that when we do look to help others it is certainly a reflection of who we feel we are, Mm -hmm. who we would like to be. And we remember hearing growing up, right, the small things. It's always the small things. Absolutely. It's the smallest things that make a difference. And and as you just noted, Sarah, it is the small things. It's can we be compassionate? Can we care? Mm -hmm. Um, Can we smile? I was driving down the street once and a gentleman was standing there with a sign and we had known each other a few times before. And this was when I was down south, actually. And I didn't have any change. And I rolled down the window. I was like, I'm sorry, I don't have anything today. He's like, you do not have to apologize. You give me a conversation every time you see me. Exactly. And and that means a great deal. And it made me cry. because It's going to make me cry right now. <laughs> because it's the type of human connection that I think, whether we want to admit it or not, it's the type of human connection that we all crave. Absolutely, without you, question. You know, as you get older, birthdays, gifts don't even matter. It's, Not at all. It's like, it, did, somebody, hang with did somebody re- remember that I exist today? Yeah. You know, and when yeah. they do, it, it warms your heart. Absolutely. So does having a safer, more well-equipped and, and sympathetic society does that mean that children are going to have to see, like, heroin needles all over the street? No, it does not. It absolutely does not. They may, but no, it does not. Might they already live in a world where they see that yes, on the street? Yes, they do. They absolutely do. Um, it's, 
drugs are a part of society. They've been part of society since long before we even know society existed. It's true. I think it, one study was 30,000 years ago in Spain. They found traces of hallucinogens. I'm sure it goes back to the beginning of time. I have no doubt. And it will also, drugs will be a part of our life till the end of time, whether illicit or illicit. I'm going to share a little bit of myself. I lived in the same neighborhood for 10 years. I've lived in, you know, Primarily communities that are marginalized, there are needles on the ground, um, you know, people shooting up around corners, um, that sort of thing. I did eventually leave and went out to the middle of the country, I'm going to be real honest. And the reason was, you know, I had small children and I was like, you know, I just don't, they've been exposed to enough of the hood, quote unquote, to feel that compassion. But I also, as you know, I started having great nieces and nephews, I don't want them to feel afraid to go outside, right? But I will also say that when I left, I cried. I cried a lot because I was just in moving into a professional position where I could really help my community. And I felt like moving away was alienating the people that I loved and lived with my whole life in some sense. However, I realized that I could give back in a different way. And that was, you know, working through harm reduction and working through, you know, working with people who are LGBTQ plus and unhoused and, you know, all of those things and all of the things that I was used to from my neighborhood, if you will. So I think that it's hard for me to say or tell people, you know, needles are going to be in places. They're going to be in places where people use. Most of the time, they're not in places where the public are. They're in, because no one's shooting heroin inside the gas station. Well, maybe in the bathroom, but you know, you know what I'm saying. They're usually outside. They're usually in one space together. That sort of thing. A secluded space. In a secluded space, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's. I know this because I go to all of those places, and I know that's where the bulk of the needles and that sort of thing is. However. You know, if we're talking about children, obviously young children don't need to be a brown needles. But if we're talking about educating teenagers, you know, what I, in my opinion, my kids are around my clients constantly, my whole family. They know all of, well, I wouldn't say all, but a lot of my clients. I've done street outreach with my children, teenage children. And the reality is, is that people are shooting up in our community. The reality is, is that those people need people to check on them. The reality is, is that they need Narcan to make sure that their friend doesn't die. But are kids going to see needles all over the place? No, that's not real. But it, it, they're there. And we're not telling people that um, using drugs is okay. We're saying that using drugs is okay for some people and that no matter if people use drugs or not, they're okay. So, you know, if teenagers see a needle or two on an outreach to go hug somebody, I don't think it's the worst thing that can happen. Beautifully said. I believe um, it was written in some book, Judge not lest ye be judged yourself. Amen and all of that above and in some book. <laughs> we'll get the reference to the book for next episode. Absolutely. We'll put it in the notes. Sarah Bowen Lecicia of the Phoenix Center, Central Illinois Springfield. We're always so happy to have you I'm come and chat with us. Here. Thanks for letting us be real here. <laughs> It's the only thing we know here on Lay of the Land. I enjoy it very much. Lay of the Land, Trent Nelson.